Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining the show today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today, Dr. Faiza Heichel joins the show for a conversation that's going to explore what scholars know about religion in the old kingdom of Egypt. Dr. Heichel is an Egyptian Egyptologist. She's Professor Emerita at the American University in Cairo, based in Egypt. She's written many publications over her career, including authoring the book, Two Heratic Funerary Papyri of Nesmin, which was published by Bibliotheca Egyptaca. And Professor Emerita Heichel joins the show today from Cairo. Welcome to the show, Faiza. Hello, thank you. Okay, so to start off the conversation today, Faiza, can you share, if someone's referencing the old kingdom of Egypt, what are they referring to and what time period does, does it pertain to? Well, the old kingdom of Egypt is uh, one of the oldest periods. It's called Old Fulland. It's uh, at the beginning of uh, Egyptian very, very long history. It's, uh, it's dating, uh, approximate dates are 2,800 before Christ till uh, 2,000 before Christ. So we have the archaic period followed by the Old Kingdom, followed by a period called the First Intermediate Period. And then uh, we, uh, Old Kingdom is totally finished. And then we have the Middle Kingdom and we start another important era of the history of ancient Egypt. What is it about this time period in Egypt that had someone or a group of people at one point decide to label it as a particular epoch and then other people have supported that decision over time? What is it about this particular time period in Egypt? Well, uh, it is uh, uh, specific because it is the period when pyramids were built. Uh, the most, the largest and the most important pyramids were built. And uh, it is defined as the, the history of Egypt, by the way, uh, is defined by periods. And each of these periods have something specific to it. The Old Kingdom has uh, is the beginning of building in stone in Egypt for funerary monuments or religious monuments in general. Before that, uh, and uh, daily life and, and ordinary people were building in uh, uh, mud brick rather than stone. And uh, uh, building in uh, mud brick continued throughout the history of Egypt for uh, uh, actually for housing and uh, uh, daily, daily routine things, while uh, the stone which started in, uh, building in stone which started in the Old Kingdom was uh, kept particularly for building religious monuments, whether tombs or, or temples. So this is the specificity of ancient uh, Old Kingdom. The Old Kingdom is the period where the Egyptians began to uh, build in stone. And if you uh, wonder why is it so important, it is very important because the stone in Egypt is not very easy of access. 
uh, people are living in the valley of the Nile where uh, mud and mud brick architecture is easier to, uh, to create. So when they created this in order for uh, stone, because stone is uh, for eternity, uh, when they had the idea of afterlife and eternity, they wanted their uh, religious monuments to live forever, so they started building in stone. In this period, what would the geographic demarcation of Egypt have been? Is it is it similar to this to what it is today, or is it different in some substantial way? And during this period, over the several hundred years, was it a unified state, or or was it what, what or is it considered more than one uh, state back then? Well, uh, actually, it is. It was a unified state as of the first dynasty. The history of Egypt, ancient Egypt, is divided by Manetho. Uh, was divided into 13 dynasties. A dynasty is a family, a family of people who is ruling. And uh, uh, this started with the first dynasty and continued until the third dynasty. And this period, which was really the very, very beginning of Egypt, is the period where Egypt became unified. Before that, we had uh, parts of Egypt who were ruled by a person, or a king, or another part of Egypt who was ruled by another person. And this was essentially Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt. And when we speak about Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt, it is uh, reflecting a little bit the uh, geography of the country. Uh, the Lower, of course, is in the north by the sea, by the Mediterranean Sea. And then as you go south, we begin to have hills, and uh, we and then it's a little bit more hilly than the north. The north is a very big delta of the Nile, and so we have no hills over there. While Upper Egypt is a little bit more hilly, and uh, uh, this is why it's called Upper Egypt. And the borders, as you said, the boundaries of Egypt in the past were very very similar to the boundaries of Egypt today. The state of Egypt, and this is one of the specificities of this country, is that it has been unified and continued its unification for a very long time. However, there has been periods where, because of uh, uh, change in climate or change in political power or change in, in, in having neighbors who became very strong. Uh, there are power periods in the history of Egypt where the whole country was not unified. And these periods are called intermediate periods. We have the Old Kingdom followed by the first intermediate period, then the Middle Kingdom followed by the second intermediate period, then the New Kingdom followed by the third intermediate period, and then we have late periods where uh, which are much, much uh, further, uh, uh, I mean, closer to us in history, but uh, uh, very far away from Old Kingdom. They are the first millennium, while the Old Kingdom is the third millennium before Christ. Okay. Um, what year does the first dynasty 
Pfizer, when does that begin, the first dynasty? Well, it's very difficult to give you precise dates because, uh, well, as I told you, it is probably around 2,800. But uh, it could be a little bit further uh, around the 3,000 before Christ because we keep finding things. And particularly the pre-dynastic or the pre-historical period is uh, getting better known now and we begin to have inscriptions that are read now from Upper Egypt, from Abydos, uh, and therefore uh, we have now a dynasty zero uh, because uh, people realize that there was a dynasty before the dynasty number one, and uh, therefore we are calling it now dynasty zero. So to give you a very, very precise date at this period is a bit difficult. Yeah. Then it, it's the fourth, the, the third millennium, uh, which is covering uh, the, the whole of the start of Egypt, a little bit of the history, then the history of Egypt, which starts when hieroglyphics began to be used, and it coincides together. The unification of Egypt corresponds with the appearance of the hieroglyphics and uh, names of kings, and this is how we are beginning to divide the history of Egypt. Yes, that's perfectly fine, Faisa. And I, and I asked the question because I'm trying to link in my mind First Dynasty starting with the Old Kingdom of Egypt. And I'm going to ask some questions in a bit around understanding the pantheon and, and was there state pantheons? Was it more was was uh, were there was it more disparate um, type type of worship going on throughout the state? And so we'll we'll get to that. But I wanted to cover some of this background stuff before we get to the uh, the main parts of the conversation today. Sources. So when it comes to looking at religion in the old kingdom of Egypt, what are scholars predominantly relying on to understand this topic in this period? Well, uh, again, as I tell you, uh, we rely essentially on uh, material culture as well as uh, writing, whatever is written. Uh, of course, if we have uh, a lot of written material, that's wonderful, and we can uh, have precise, more precise dates because the pharaohs were dating uh, their rules. Uh, unfortunately, each new pharaoh started with year one of his own reign. So there is no absolute continuity. So uh, that was the job of the historians to try to understand when approximately year, year one of such a king and year one of the next king. So uh, we know it is quite a complicated matter because it depends on the, uh, the material culture we find. For example, uh, we can tell you that uh, king so-and-so, for example, uh, Cheops, the king who had uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza, and who is called Hufu in Egyptian and Cheops because of the Greek reading of his name, or uh, then this man, we know that he, uh, his pyramid was done in about 20 years or a little bit more, so he ruled more than 20 years. However, we can get something which tell us, no, well, it's almost 28, no, it's almost, and then we get another date which gives, which prolongates his reign for another year or two, and so on. So archaeology is very important to confirm the dates 
and also to change them if you find something new, a new reference. So ancient Egypt, the, the first dynasties are very complicated to date because we do not have uh, enough material for that. And the kings of the early period did not write their, uh, we do not have enough material to say they started on such and such a period or they didn't such, on such and such a period. Now, one of the things which is very helpful for dating the material uh, is the pottery. Pottery from ancient Egypt as well as uh, uh, stone produ production and any material production is also helping uh, creating a history of ancient Egypt. Yes, we're going back almost 5,000 years, so I can I can appreciate all that. Well, but the 5,000s are not all historical. Eh? Part of it is prehistory, because we had no writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. We, we, we talk about history when there is writing. Before, we talk about prehistory. Mm, yeah, and what I just mean is, if we're talking 2800 BCE, BC, that's yes. that's almost 5,000 years ago. From today, yes. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, so can you can you share then, Faiza, what what's what's known? Can you can you share uh, um, about religion in this period of time? And uh, could you share enough, and then we'll work our way into the details a little bit more in the conversation. Certainly. I mean, uh, uh, as soon as Egypt was unified, uh, the king of Egypt was uh, called Horus. And uh, his name was written on uh, a facade of a, of a, a building. And uh, above this facade, there was a, 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 the sign of the god Horus, who was already the great god of Egypt. Horus is a manifestation of the sun god. And also uh, in, in this particular context, and uh, he, is a very, he appears as a, as a falcon or a, 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 a rapacious bird. And, if, and Horus in hieroglyphics is very interesting because the word means high above, high above. So the bird who is uh, soaring high above is a, a hawk or a falcon in ancient Egypt. And the god takes his uh, uh, attributes as being above and seeing everything from above and being superior to everybody from above because he can see the whole world. So this is one of the first uh, titles of Egyptian kingship to be like Horus. And this is a very interesting uh, thing to, because it comes also not only from the idea of uh, the being superior, but it also comes from a legend, which is the most important legend or myth of ancient Egypt, whereby uh, the, the gods were ruling Egypt before men ruled it, and the last god who ruled Egypt was the son of Isis and Osiris, and he was called Horus. So each king of Egypt was embodying upon earth, or impersonating upon earth, 
Horus, the son of the legitimate king of Egypt, as the son of Osiris and Isis. This is a, a, a myth, one of the oldest myths of ancient Egypt, which is already known in the Old King. What is the earliest attestation of that tradition with Horus being the son of two deities? Osiris and Isis, well, it's known uh, from the pyramid text. We already have reference to, uh, but I would like to be more systematic and explain what I, what I am saying. It comes from, what we know it comes from the pyramid text. Now, what are the pyramid texts? The pyramid texts are texts written in hieroglyphics inside in the pyramids of the kings of the old kingdom, starting from the last king of the fifth dynasty. The old kingdom is composed of the archaic period, dynasty one, two, and three, in the beginning of three, and then we have the new, the old kingdom, which is dynasty three, four, five, six. Some people add seven and eight, and some other people prefer to leave seven and eight in the intermediate period. So in this period, the, the people, uh, the, the kings and their queens were having pyramids built in Saqqara. Saqqara is a necropolis which is about uh, 30 kilometers south from Cairo today. And uh, it is the necropolis of the ancient city of Memphis, where the kings of Egypt in the Old Kingdom used to live. So in these pyramids, all the, uh, the walls of the burial chamber and the few corridors are engraved with hieroglyphs and the hieroglyphs are relating the stories of Isis and Osiris and Horus, but they are also having a lot of other texts, very important texts because they continue to develop throughout the history of Egypt. Uh, and, uh, and these texts are written inside the pyramids where the kings are buried in order to help the king join the afterlife and be integrated with the gods who live in the afterlife and be in the in, together, living together with the sun god and seeing the sun god with the main god of Egypt. So the desire of living eternally and to see the god is firstly manifested in the pyramid text. In this period, was there a pantheon was there was there thought to be a pantheon of, of deities, so additional deities beyond Horus? And was was there any would Horus have been considered? Um, so I'm going to frame the second part of the question uh, differently, or, or a second question was was there certain deities that were state wide deities, or is it that the deities that were that were being worshipped were, were more um, fragmented or disparate throughout the state? Well, uh, every city practically had its local divinity. From uh, the Mediterranean all the way south to the first cataract of Egypt or the second cataract of the Nile, or the second cataract of the Nile, this is, this is where the borders of Egypt were. 
changing a little bit in the south uh, from the first to the second cataract. But in north, of course, that's was the Mediterranean. There's nothing you can do about it. Then on the eastern side, you have the Red Sea and Sinai. And on the west, you have the desert of the Sahara, the Great Sahara Desert. Uh, so uh, these are the borders that are still the borders of Egypt today. Well, uh, talking about the, the, the gods, there are gods which are more important than others, and these are usually linked with the political gods of Egypt, the gods of the main city of Egypt, the capital city of Egypt. So, but there are other gods in all the uh, villages and cities of Egypt as well. Uh, there is a special pantheon that uh, people uh, worshipped uh, and knew, uh, and uh, among these pantheons were already existing in, the, in the, the Old Kingdom, because there are other gods which came into Egypt and syncretized with the Egyptian gods later, who were not originally Egyptian, but they became, became Egyptianized. But for example, you have the main god of Egypt is the sun god. And the sun god of Egypt has, has his main city is in Heliopolis, very close to Cairo. Today, actually, it's part of Cairo. It's one of the suburbs of Cairo. And this is where he, the sun god of Egypt, is the creator, the first creator of the world, as you can see it. Because before that, there was no creation at all. There was uh, the, the primeval ocean and blackness, darkness around it, and that was that. And the primeval ocean was uh, the, uh, the breath of life vegetating in the water. And at some point, this breath of life was strong enough to come out and create the world. So the creation there, the, the, this primeval ocean is called Nun, and uh, the, the, the breath of life in it and the first god who was formed in it was called Atom. When Atom felt totally complete, the word Atom is he who is complete, who is finished, and he, started, he came out above out of the water on there was firstly a, an island which uh, came out of the water so the god could stand on it could have a firm support and the god came out in the shape of the sun god the sun god ray so you have to understand that there are sometimes many names from the same divinity for example the sun god ray was called Ray, but he was also called Horachti, Horus of the horizon, and he was called also Ray, he was also called Atom. So he had at least three names, and they represent the different stages of his course in the sky. Horachti, Achet means the horizon, is the sun as Horus when he comes out of the horizon. And then he rises in the sky. At midday, he is full, uh, full sun. It's called Ra. And then at the end of the day, he is called Atom again. 
meaning that he completed, he is completed now, and ready to go back to the other lives, to the primeval ocean, and uh, to regenerate there, and have in order to come back in a dawn in the cycle of life. So the life is a cycle, which is the day and night. Day and night correspond to life and death. So uh, this is the main god. However, there are other creative gods and creator gods and other places. And the god of Memphis, the capital of Egypt, was called Ptah. So Ptah was also a very, very important divinity in Egypt. And uh, he, he was creating the world via a different system. I mean, the system of uh, Heliopolis, the sun god created through different means. He created through first masturbating and then having two children, one male and one female. And the one male and the one female are Shu and Tifnut. And then this is a couple. Uh, Shu is air and light and dryness, and his counterpart, female counterpart, Tifnut, is humidity. And then from them, and regular, uh, normal uh, inter interaction, marriage, they began to create other elements, like, for example, the sky and the earth, and then, which are Gebba, is the, the earth, a male god, the sky, a female divinity, Nut, then Geb and Nut uh, uh, intermarried, married, and they gave birth to Isis, Osiris, Set, and Neftis, and Isis and Osiris gave birth to Horus. Except one of the oldest uh, myth of Egypt is the myth of the god Ra. Now we have there's plenty of things I can uh, tell you later about him, but I would like to establish first main divinities. So the the other divinity uh, that is very important in the old kingdom, of course, is the god of Memphis. Was called Ptah, the risen land, and the opener of everything, and. Uh, he uh, had a counterpart, female counterpart, who, or a consort called Sekhmet, and she appeared sometimes as a lioness. And uh, they had a son who was called Nefertum. Nefertum, and uh, he Ptah created the world through thinking it and pronouncing it. So it is pronouncing which is the most important. Uh, creator, a uh, creation uh, means. So if you pronounce a word, you say table, you see a table. You can visualize a table. You see human being, you visualize a human being. And if you give a name to this human being, so it will be a specific person. And so on. But what is interesting also, these are the, the two great myths of antiquity, the two great religions of the old kingdom. But what is interesting also in this particular case is that they interact because also uh, uh, the, the god Ra, when he spoke, also out of his speech also came humanity and uh, creation. 
And among the things, when he was speaking of describing uh, God and out of his tears, the tears of the God, of his own tears came the humankind. Human being came out of the tears of the God. So it's interesting to see that they are not exactly the same, but they're very similar. They use each other's <coughs> sometimes means of creation. And each of them have, of course, mythology, their own mythology. There are other great gods of Egypt. One of them called Nu, for example, who is in the south of Egypt, is the god of the Cataract district, first Cataract district in the south of Egypt, is creating by means of, he's creating uh, by means of the potter's wheel. So he used mud and the potter's wheel. So there are many different ways in Egypt because, of course, they emerged in different places. And then gradually, as time passed, they borrowed from each other a lot of things. And, the, and at the very end of the Egyptian history, they even synchronized. So you could have Amon Re, Khrum Re, Sobek Re. <coughs> so they syncretized words a little bit later in the history of Egypt. Thank you for expanding on that, Faiza. Is there evidence in this period of people worshiping various deities? You, you spoke about the, the, the pharaoh, the, the king of the time, um, and perhaps we, we'll, we'll go back to that at some point, but more specifically, the general population of the time in Egypt. What, is, is there evidence of the general population worshiping various deities, and why do you think they were worshiping various deities? Well, we have, of course, evidence of uh, people worshipping. However, we do not have in Egypt a group worshipping. In uh, uh, Evidence of it is not there. It's, uh, there's, it's not like going to church and everybody is worshipping at the same time and there are uh, people who are conducting the mass. Uh, this we don't have. Or, or at least so far we don't have evidence. Uh, but uh, there are people who are, uh, the people are writing in their own tombs, they are speaking of their own, uh, how should I say, uh, their own ethics, because we have two things in parallel. You have the ideology of kingship and what, who is the king, and what, the king is the son of the gods, and then when he dies, he goes to the mingled wisdom in, as a star, or, or, as a, or on their boat, it depends on the period of Egyptian history. Uh, or, uh, and then, so this is the official religion, which is essentially for, uh, for, uh, for kingship, while the ordinary human being, being are having another type of religion. They are, and we do not have a book for them before the Middle Kingdom when they begin to use part of the pyramid text. But in their tomb, they had ethics, and they wrote about their ethics, and very often we find them in the tombs of the World Kingdom, and later on we find them on papyrus, and uh, uh, which we we have from a little bit later from the Middle Kingdom, because papyrus is very brittle and very uh, fragile, so we do not have that many of the old kingdom. 
so what I wanted to say, we have, we do know from the tombs of the people of the Old Kingdom that they had a sense of the afterlife and that they had a sense, but they, it was not exactly the same thing as, uh, as royalty. But they would say in their tombs uh, that they, they were good people and, not, uh, and that they deserved the, the visitors to, to read a prayer for them and to present them with offerings. And, uh, and they said in their autobiographies, I was a good person, I was a good nomarch, because these are most of the, the, the tombs that we have today do not belong to the, the low classes of the population. They are all high officials, particularly in, uh, the, the, in, in the period of, uh, of uh, the Old Kingdom. The only tomb of uh, lower classes, not very low one, uh, which comes to my mind is a village of the people who built the pyramids and who is adjacent, not very far from the pyramids themselves. Anyway, we know that they would say I'm a good person. Why, if he is a good person, why? Because he was, because he had possibilities and he had wealth, he could take care of the poor people and protect them and protect the widow and uh, protect the orphan and he never did something bad to these people who were working for him. And uh, uh, they, uh, it's even said that he paid the workers in certain cases for building his tomb, etc. So the ethics, and you should, we, we know from all this that, uh, and then what continues later on, we know from all this that their ethics were not written in the books of religion like the coffin text. Very, there were allusions, of course, but not as clearly as it was in the ethical uh, text, wisdom text or ethical text or uh, instruction text. This is how we call them. So there are, you have a kind of two, two parallel religions working together, the ideology of kingship and the afterlife and the religion of the ordinary people. Uh, who uh, are, is based on ethics rather than anything else. And in the tombs of the Old Kingdom, I want to make this point, we do not have the presence of divinities as often as we wish and have them later on in the other periods of Egyptian history. Old Kingdom Mastawas, the Mastawa is the tomb of a person, has uh, have a lot of scenes of daily life and of uh, the autobiography of the, the owner of the tomb. So as if he wanted to take his memories with him and relive them in the afterlife. The testimonies that you shared, shared there, the, the autobiographies that were in tombs, and it sounds like various people were providing testimonies on how they, how they lived and how they acted during their life, what what do you think they were asking for? What what do you think they were wishing for or, or hoping for as a result of providing those the, the the testimonies in those autobiographies? Well, it, uh, they uh, said it clearly. They wanted people to remember them because as long as the memory is remembered, uh, so the, the person is not dead. Uh, 
Uh, and I think this continues until today when people are being called after their grandfather or the father, etc. It's a revival of the name. So the name keeps alive and keeps remembered and the people are not there. But they also wanted to be offered actual concrete offerings, not only verbal offerings. But it could also be verbal and all concrete offerings independent on uh, the relationship between the, the, the visitors and the owner of the tomb himself. So we have in this particular period something very interesting as well, which is the contact and the interaction between the living and the dead. And this was done through letters and letters written to the dead asking them for favors, asking them to help the living of their own family, or uh, 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 reminding them of good things that they did for them when they were alive, and therefore asking them to, uh, to help them from the other side of life, from uh, the other world, to help them uh, living well or uh, fighting their enemies. So uh, this is very often written at the entrance of the tomb even. They say, oh, you passers-by uh, uh, who are coming, to, who, is, who are entering the tomb, I am a good person. I deserve to be uh, offered offerings and to be respected. And uh, to, uh, I want you to recite the prayer in my name. And then they say something very interesting and say, if you desecrate my tomb, I shall destroy you and I shall fight you. So you have to come in my tomb, being pure and you to come to visit, you are welcome to visit as long as you respect the place and you recite a prayer for them. So this is very typical of the tombs of ancient Egypt did people believe occurred to themselves after they died? Well, uh, uh, towards the end of the Old Kingdom, we have evidence that each person who died uh, wished to mingle or to become like the God Osiris, that is to say, to be revived in the other. Because Osiris, the myth of Osiris, indicates that he had been killed by his brother and then regenerated by his wife and revived in the other life in order to be the ruler of the dead. Osiris is even called the foremost, the, the first one of those who live in the West. And with Osiris resurrecting in the West came the idea of everybody resurrecting like Osiris. So they what they wanted for themselves was the resurrection and to become like Osiris. So to the extent that they were called, the deceased were often called the Osiris so-and-so. So as if we would say the late so-and-so. So this, and, and by resurrecting, they also, but the difference between resurrection in our uh, time and resurrection in theirs is that they believed that in order to resurrect, that they also needed to have a support for their soul to come back to it. And this is why they created uh, mummification. 
the body was important. So this is why it is through the body that they could be renewed. This is the main difference between modern and ancient idea. Ideas that they needed their body and therefore they magnified it. They needed to feed the body, to give him energy. And this is why they wanted offerings to be presented to What is known or inferred about the percentage of the general population that were mummified in this period? I don't have uh, really uh, numbers, but I don't think they were very many. We, we don't, did not find much. We did find uh, a few, and uh, the mummification the techniques were also not as advanced as they were a little bit later. Of course, everything became more professionally done, let's put it this way. So we have some, but as, again, as I'm telling you, uh, we, we mentioned at the very beginning that we are 5,000 years away from uh, the beginning of Egyptian civilization, Egyptian history. It, it's even human beings, I mean, uh, they would deteriorate after their death. Even in the, in the weather of Egypt, which is protective of a lot of things, because it's very dry and uh, they were buried in the desert. Uh, the desert is really a very good place to protect uh, bodies because of they dehydrate there, and uh, if they are not attacked by any any uh, animal of the desert, they are fine. They keep on uh, they are not mummified, but they yeah they are dehydrated and they keep on for a very long time. I want to go back to Faiza, your the the couple remarks you made about uh, a pharaoh's relationship to religion, and then and then work our way to uh, wrapping up the the conversation today. So you you did touch on a pharaoh's relationship to to religion. Can you expand on on that? And I want to I want to ask this question broadly. What's known about pharaohs in this period, their relationship to religion, and then also what people around them, how they perceived the, the given pharaoh's relationship to religion? Well, the, the king, I shall go a little bit uh, towards the end of, uh, of uh, the old kingdom, as you, you suggested. I mean, uh, when the king was crowned, when he became, during the coronation ceremonies of a king. The king received new names, five names. His titulary includes five names. One of his, the first name is Horus. As we mentioned before, he is the Horus God. He represents Horus upon earth because Horus was the last God to rule when God, when humans and gods were living together upon earth. This is another story. So his, he's got this name as Horus. He has another name as son of the sun god, Sarah. It's, it's mentioned in the hieroglyphics, you say, Sarah, the son of the sun god. The sun god is called Ra. Then he has another name, which is 
uh, knee suit beating, king of Upper and Lower Egypt. He has another name, Golden Horus, and a last one, the, uh, the one who is related to uh, two divinities, female divinities, Wajet and Nechbet, who are the protectors of Upper and Lower Egypt. So that links him automatically to these divinities. Son of Horus, uh, I mean Horus himself, son of the sun god, and he merges into the sun god at his death, he becomes the sun god himself, and then uh, the golden Horus, and golden Horus, because he, the gods are supposed to have to be made of gold, because the gold doesn't decay, doesn't change, doesn't do anything, it's eternal. So the golden horse is a god. And all the statues of gods are uh, covered with, uh, are gilded because they have to last forever. And then he is protected by the divinities of Upper Egypt, Nehbet and Wajet of Lower Egypt. Again, this is his relation with the gods. And then uh, the, the, the one which is not directly related with the God is the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, is Pity. So you see, he is, he is made, he is created by the God, he will become a God at his death, and uh, in order to, but we see this later on in the, in the New Kingdom, because we see images as well as writings, uh, he is fed by the gods, he is nurtured by the gods when he, he is born, he uh, drink the, the milk of, of the goddesses. So uh, all that links him very, very closely, makes him really a god upon earth. He also has, and uh, the king of Egypt is also the high priests of the god. He knows the gods. To be a priest is to have knowledge of religion and therefore knowledge of the gods. The king is also that high priest of the, of the gods. Have I answered your uh, question? It, yes, it's a it it's a it, it's a very detailed answer. When it comes to and you mentioned upon a pharaoh's death, so can you expand on that then? So when when a pharaoh dies, what what did they believe occurred with with the with the pharaoh, and what activities did people living have to do to support that pharaoh who's deceased? Uh, well, uh, the, the, the king is thought to rise to heaven after he dies and to mingle, to mingle with the stars and the gods in heaven. I'm talking old kingdom now, because in, uh, afterwards it develops and it becomes easier to explain in a way uh, because we have scenes and representations. So in the Old Kingdom, we do not have scenes and representation in, in the tombs of uh, the kings. But later on, yes, we do. So uh, the king is, the text say that the king is flying to heaven to join with his uh, uh, ancestors or become, he can become a star, he can be on the boat of the sun god, you can be, there are many ways of being near the God or becoming one part of him. Uh, uh, the king is buried in a pyramid, and the pyramid has a temple, 
uh, has actually two temples. The mortuary temple where the rituals are done for him by a priesthood, which is his priesthood, which is in charge only of serving the king. And uh, the, the, there are rituals and prayers which are, are done for him in this temple. And then there is the ascending or descending corridor. And by the valley, there is another temple where there are different rituals. And when the mummy arrives, when after the king has been on the But we do not have any mummies of the kings of the old kingdom. We did not find any, so we don't know as well uh, what, what how they were magnified as well, or what kind of amulets they would wear, and all that we don't have, unfortunately. We have some statue where we can see uh, jewelry and amulets, but we do not have enough as we have them in afterwards in later periods. But definitely the king is becoming a god after his death, and he has a clergy which is doing the ritual for him, reading the ritual for him every day, and presenting the offering for him every day. So in closing, Faiza, is there anything, you'll, anything else you want to share on this topic that perhaps I didn't ask or didn't come up in one of your responses that you want to get in the episode? Or is there something that you did share that you want to emphasize in closing about uh, what's known about religion in the Old Kingdom of Egypt? Well, uh, I may say that the Old Kingdom uh, has the oldest uh, literature on religion in the whole world. The Book of the Dead, the, sorry, the Pyramid Text is the oldest text, running text, that we know about religion in, in, in the world, actually. Uh, it is quite difficult to understand it because sometimes it makes allusions to things which are not written, but which they knew, which we don't know, but they knew. So it is quite difficult. Ancient Egyptian religion is pretty difficult to interpret. There has been a lot of work on it. There are, and still is a lot of work being done on it. And uh, uh, there are a lot of things which are clear, but others which are esoteric, that is to say that we don't understand what they mean by certain words. So uh, this, this is fascinating because it, the religion develops and it keeps on developing. The pyramid texts are developing later on into what we call coffin texts, the coffins in which the human beings were buried, borrowed a lot of the texts from the pyramid text, and then again, the same thing are developing into the Book of the Dead in the New Kingdom and then into many, many other books related to the solar religion in particular. So there is a continuity and a, a constant development of the religion of Egypt. But in the very late period, you can find things which are already in the Old Kingdom. So uh, this is why I tell you there is a continuity and a very close relationship in the development of religion in Egypt. But throughout the history of Egypt, the case of the pharaoh is different from the ordinary people. They do borrow a few things from royalty, but not everything. So the, 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 the kings of Egypt have always been gods, 
the worship just done, and uh, which is not the case, for example, for the ordinary people, even if they want to become like Osiris. The book that you mentioned in that response, Faiza, if somebody listening wants to read up more about that, is there a link or two you'd be able to provide me to resources and then I can provide them in the show notes for listeners? Uh, do you want some bibliography? Sure. Some, something that would be easily findable if somebody went on the show notes and then and then uh, click, yes, click yes. some links. Yes, okay. Okay. I, I shall send you this on... Uh on email that's great Faiza yes. okay oh, how many do you want I mean two three four more uh which well what, what yeah two 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 to four is perfectly fine whatever you think is uh reasonable if somebody listening wants to read up more on on the book that you referenced in that response well, actually reference to books which themselves have references so uh the person who is reading these books or these articles will be able to uh, to read further references taken from the books themselves, if they want. Sounds great. I really enjoyed speaking with you today, Faiza. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, you're very welcome. So again, everybody, the book that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Professor Emerita Heichel authored, Two Heratic Funerary Papyri of Nesmine. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Faiza and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Hey again. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.